Radiolab is supported by Progressive. Most of you aren't just listening right now. You're driving, exercising, cleaning. What if you could also be saving money by switching to Progressive? Drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average, and auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. Multitask right now. Quote today at Progressive.com, Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. Radio Lab is supported by the John Templeton Foundation, funding research and catalyzing conversations that inspire people with awe and wonder. Learn about the researchers making the latest discoveries in the science of well-being, complexity, forgiveness, and free will at templeton.org slash podcast. Listener supported. WNYC Studios. Wait, you're listening. Okay. All right. Okay. All right. You're listening listening to Radio Lab. Radio Lab. From WNYC. Okay, here. Here. Should I just test you? Yeah, yeah. If you could see if you could be a citizen. Oh, God. Okay. Okay. What is the supreme law of the land? The Constitution? Yep. You got it. What is freedom of religion? You, what, what does it mean, what is freedom of religion? Like you can practice yeah, any it? religion you want without being persecuted? Yeah, great, done. These you questions won. make me nervous because it feels like they're too easy and I know, that I'm going like to be wrong. A gotcha. Who is in charge of the executive branch? The president. If the president can no longer serve, who becomes president? Vice president. Yeah. <laughs> hey, I'm Chad Abumrad. I'm Robert Krulwich. This is Radiolab. And today we're going to start off by sort of sitting in on a conversation. It's telling me to study for the English test. Between our producer and reporter Kelly Prime and producer reporter Latif Nasser. Who is right now in the process of becoming a U.S. citizen. Estimated case completion time is August 2019. When did you start applying? Right after I got married. So I want to say like 2014 maybe. Whoa. Yeah. Getting married is the fastest way of getting citizenship. Dang. Yeah. Um, Uh, What are your feelings as you approach this date? It's a weird time. Uh, It's exciting. It's exciting because like my kid was born here. So my kid is an American citizen, but I'm not an American citizen. That's kind of like a weird thing. Like I feel like I want to be that for my kid. Yeah. I feel like as a Muslim guy, there are protections that I'll get as a citizen that I I may not otherwise get. Um, But um, I mean, like for my family, my family is... uh, We've immigrated a lot, my family. Like two, maybe three generations ago, my family moved from India to East Africa, Tanzania. And then my parents' generation, they immigrated from Tanzania to Canada. Um, But what's funny is like my family, my dad, my mom, like when they came to Canada, they were so grateful that Canada accepted them my parents so badly wanted to be Canadians, but because they were sort of these outsiders, they they kept coming really close, but like not quite getting it. Like my dad, he knew like as a Canadian dad, the thing you're supposed to do is like go down to the ice rink and sign up your boy for hockey lessons. Right. But instead, he signed me up for figure skating lessons. Aww. And so like for <laughs> years, I took figure skating lessons. I was like Aww. the only brown kid in the class, the only brown boy. Um, Did you guys watch hockey? Yeah, no. Well, so the thing with hockey, like in Canada, hockey is such a thing. Like for me, when I was in high school, I would go home, I would like do my homework really quickly, and then I would watch Hockey Night in Canada. And I hated hockey, but I would watch (laughs) it because I knew the next day at school, like that's all anybody would be talking about is the Maple Leafs game. It was like, like assimilation homework or something, you know, it was like, okay, like let's memorize the names of these players. Okay. Goal. Who scored a goal? Was it a good goal? Was it an interesting goal? Like where's the puck actually? I don't even, can't even see it. Um, (laughs) You know, it was like, there's this club and this is the homework for the club. And in order to be part of the club, I have to do the homework. Uh, And, and for everybody else, the homework is fun. And for me, the homework is homework. So 
here at the show for the last, I don't know, six months, a year, pretty much ever since uh, Latif did uh, a show about voting. And elections, yes. You know, we've been thinking about democracy. And, and citizenship. These big sort of amorphous concepts and trying to figure out how, how do we make something about them. It's hard, though, because big ideas are mushy and hard to pin down. Yeah, so we let it kind of lie for a bit. But then uh, two of our reporters walked in with um, stories that really brought those big fuzzy ideas down to earth. So for the next two episodes, what we're going to do is we've got two very different stories from very different places in the world. About what it means. And what it takes to belong to a place. Starting with Kelly Prime, uh, with a story that takes place. I guess you probably know this by now. Yeah, in Switzerland. Right, so I had found this kind of viral article that hit all over the world that was a Dutch woman too annoying to get Swiss citizenship. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good title. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and so there was this woman, Nancy Holton, and from what I could read just on the very, like, clickbaity stuff was that she is a vocal vegan, she's anti-cowbell, anti-church bell, and that the town turned against her and refused to naturalize her. You said anti-cowbell? Yeah. Are cowbells like— why, Cowbells why are would the you... most Swiss things in the world. Like, you go to <laughs> Switzerland, and on every postcard is this, like, adorable cow with big eyes and brown spots, and it has this giant decorative bell on its huh. chest. And that is, like, Switzerland. And this lady, Nancy, who's, like, a militant animal rights person, she says that the loudness— for the cows, that it is disturbing for them and it is cruel and that it is a Swiss tradition, but it's got to go. I see. And her social media presence is always smiley and always happy, mm -hmm. but she posts things like, I don't eat babies, do you? <laughs> um, so she just seems kind of like over-the-top self-righteous, right? Yeah. Um, but the idea that a town could deny her citizenship for, like, being annoying for her personality, essentially— I just decided I've got to go find out what that's about and, like, meet this woman. So I flew into Zurich, and I rented a car. And I picked up my fixer and translator, Anna Kerber. Forward, I think, is down here. Oh, here it is. Okay, let's have a road trip. <laughs> and we headed out of town into the Swiss countryside. Okay, we just drove in a cornfield to pass a tractor. I think we're here. After about an hour, we got to the town where Nancy lives, uh, called Gipth Oberfrick. Gipth Oberfrick? Yep, a lot of Fs. What's, what, where is that? Um, it's in the very north of Switzerland, and it's like this quaint little town. Oh, beautiful flowers. Look at that. And it's surrounded by fields, but once you get in, it's like these houses kind of packed together in these little tight, turny roads. Pretty shitty parking. Nancy lives in this pink four-story apartment, and I was, like, ready to meet, like, a militant vegan, essentially. It's like a grand provocateur or something. Yeah. yeah. But Kelly, hello. Hi. What's your dog's name? Oh. Bella. Hi, Bella. Instantly, she was just super warm, like, incredibly warm. Yes. <laughs> That's it. She had this very, very shiny blue eyeshadow on, long, brown, flowy hair, and she's never, ever not smiling. And uh, here, I'm a beautiful home. Um, so we walk into her apartment. Uh, the sun comes very good here in the house, and I like it when it's, how do you say that? Bright? Bright? I don't know how you say that, yes. The walls are pink. There's a blue couch. This, this is the room for my, my uh, twins' daughters. She has three daughters. Is that under? Yes. Oh, there was a cat and somewhere. I have a, cat. I have a <laughs> white cat. His name is uh, Crystal. So we settle in, and we had actually taken off our shoes at this point. So, what, what, you're taking a picture of our feet? Yes, because she is just a very strong advocate for barefoot walking. <laughs> it's like it's a, it's a it's a feeling of freedom and it's healthy and so she takes pictures of her feet and posts them to YouTube and Instagram, uh, social media, as part of one of her many campaigns to get people to walk around barefoot more often. Um, which she herself does anytime it's warm. With the bicycle and in the cafe wow. to go to shopping. Nice yeah. food. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> how, did, how is she making ends meet? What, what do you do for work? 
Um, ich arbeite als, mm, jetzt kommt die lange Liste. The list is very long. Model. So it starts off with model. She's a hair model. Um, actress. Writer. Freie Journalistin. Freelance journalist. Spiritualität, ich bin auch eine spirituelle Lehrerin. Um, and also a coach. An angel coach. In, in like, like, like spirits? Yeah, she takes people down to the river outside her house and communicates with angels there and helps coach people through their lives using the help of angels. Wow. And you have what kinds of, do you know what kinds of crystals these are? Yes. They are my friends. <laughs> they help me. So she has uh, crystals on the windowsill. Rosenquartz. Rose quartz? Yes. Rosenquartz is good for the opening for the heart. <laughs> and is that a crystal for the hamster? Ah, yeah, genau, yeah. Teddy, his name is Teddy. Very long-haired hamster. It's an Angora hamster. Who um, has an eye infection and a tumor. And here's a tumor. So she put the crystals inside the hamster cage to help with his tumor. And uh, I talk with the, with the animals. Hollandish. Uh, uh, um, Dutch. Dutch, yes. I'm Dutch. So Nancy was born in Holland, and when she was eight years old, meine Vater und meine Mutter haben sich scheiden lassen, und meine Mutter ist dann hierher gefahren mit einem großen. Her mom got divorced, and just kind of up and took her to Switzerland. Put her in a van with a bunch of stuff, and she took a nap in the car. And when she woke up, her mom said, "Do you like it here?" And she said. Oh, schön, Berg, schön. Yeah, the mountains are nice. And then her mom was like, great, because we live here now. Und ich, wow. <laughs> And Nancy says it was a, it was a rough transition. Die erste Erinnerung war der erste Schultag. Ich konnte kein Wort Deutsch. On the first day of school, she couldn't speak any German at all. And apparently this teacher asked her to open up a window. Ich soll das Fenster öffnen. Und ich habe einfach gesagt, And she was just was, like, wie bitte, hä? Wait. What? Und als, als Kind wurde ich relativ äh, schon stark gemobbt, auch schon, als Holländerin, also damals, also Holland. So she was mobbed at school a lot, um, for, well, first of all for being Dutch, um, so they called her Dutch cheese. Um, she dressed differently. Das war nicht so, hm. Yeah, had a, had a rather tough time in the beginning at school. So it was hard to fit in. Yeah. Ich war auch nicht so selbstbewusst. Also das so she says she started to turn inward and keep to herself and even at home with her family ich war eher alleine als kind also ich musste immer in the family setting she was not she was not allowed to speak her mind durfte nicht meine meinung sagen und dann voice her opinions or feelings dann wurde ich halt noch ruhiger she says even as an adult she just never really felt self confident or like learned how to stand up for herself But then she says in 2003, uh, she was 29 years old. Das Selbstbewusstsein ist bei mir gekommen. Ich hatte ein Initialerlebnis, ein spezielles Erlebnis. She had what she called a spiritual experience. Uh, so she was living outside of Zurich and she already had a three-year-old daughter. She was pregnant with the twins. Ich war schwanger von den Zwillingen. And she says she felt under a lot of pressure to have an abortion. In fact, wir saßen schon beim Arzt und ich musste nur. They were already sitting at the doctors, um, and she just had to sign a form. But all of a sudden, she said, "Eine Nacht schlafen, lass mich noch schlafen." One night sleep, just let me sleep one night. And she says she stood up, and in that moment, da ist bei mir hat's Klick gemacht im Kopf. A click went off in her head. Und ich bin das erste Mal muss ich für meine Kinder kämpfen und bin aufgestanden und habe mir nicht mehr alles gefallen lassen. And she said, no, I'm not gonna do it. That's where she said she got the, the strength from to stand up for her kids and stand up for herself. That's when Nancy says all these things that she had felt all her life about barefoot walking and not eating meat and expressing a spiritual connection to the natural world, she had kept all those things inside of her. And now she was going to let them out. She was going to fight for them. And just a few years later, she moved to Gip Oberfrick. Und als es dann aus war, als wir, wir sind dann friedlich auseinandergegangen, fand ich das hier so schön. She fell in love with it. She said she's like never loved anywhere like this and it's the most idyllic beautiful place in the world. Hm. Vor allem für meine Kinder auch, aber auch für mich, dass ich gesagt habe, ich bleibe hier. This is my home. Like I'm staying here in part because living here she was just able to be so much closer to nature. She took us um, to the stream by her house and we walked through this cold wet grass and it was lightly raining and so and as we're walking down this 
little embankment to put our feet in the water. And it's you richtig so now you feel like how this whole thing is starting to work. It's like you're, your feet are getting a little warm, but you have like all these sensations throughout your body, up to your mind. Uh, like it's just really refreshing. And she was like, when the sun shines, this place is, it's my heaven on earth. This is for me my Kraftplatz. This place, this a uh, her place of strength. The flowing water carries away all the all worries and sorrows, and um, yeah, gives her the strength that she needs. And at this point, Nancy feels like she's found her voice and she's found her home, and she wants to make it official. Like she wants to be Swiss because she just hadn't gotten her citizenship before, and like her kids are Swiss. She wants to be politically active. She wants to be able to vote. And the process for citizenship in Switzerland is pretty intense. You have to do all these tests, like paperwork, a language exam. But the final step for Nancy is that the town gets to vote, where literally the town is mailed little pamphlets, and those pamphlets have someone like Nancy Holton and a little CV about her. So everyone in the town can read her basic biographical information, come to the town meeting on the set day at the school gymnasium, and raise their hand for whether or not she gets to be Swiss. No kidding. And so at the end of the day, it's this very public kind of like consensus? Yeah. Wow. And that's where the trouble started um, because Nancy had some ideas about how the town might be improved, Uh, starting with the church bells. Ich bin in diese Wohnung eingezogen und habe einfach gemerkt, sechs Uhr morgens she says when she moved into her apartment, she just noticed that the church bells in her town would ring really early in the morning and they'd wake her up. What do you say? At uh, um, six o'clock six o'clock in the morning? At six o'clock in the morning. That's heavy. Because then I'm waking up and I must also I can't sleep with an open uh, window in my sleeping room. So Nancy filed a formal complaint. And I have then so she wrote uh, a letter to the to the municipality um, asking for it, you know, to stop, basically. The reason the bells ring in the morning, it's not really just about announcing time. There's actually a pretty long Christian tradition in the community. It's um, like it's a call for prayer. Um, which which she considers outdated. Ich meine, ich habe eine freie freie Religion und ich möchte nicht gezwungen werden aufzustehen. Nancy's like, look, I've got free religion and I do not want to be woken up in the morning to pray. Ich auch Lärm, also ich finde es Lärmbelästigung. Um, als dieser Artikel dann erschienen ist, so the local paper found out about Nancy's complaint. Um, she she basically told them about it, and when the article came out, that's when the town started talking. From the beginning, it was like, uh, it was so much of gossip. and. Uh, I ended up going around the town and like the trying to talk to people about Nancy. It's like a pretty small town, like I think 3,000 people or so. And uh, one of the people who agreed to talk to me was Andy. My name is Andy, Andreas. I'm a Swiss German. I grew up in this in this uh, village here. His family has actually been in Gipf Oberfrick for three generations. I'm just right from here. And he told me that after the Church Bell article, people would be meeting up, you know, at the pub, after a soccer practice or choir. And you have a beer and you start talking to each other. A little while later. You take another beer and opinions get a little bit stronger, you know what I mean. So I think there people would start talking about her and say, have you have you heard or have you read or have you seen? So they would share. If she doesn't like bells, clock bells in the morning, why does she rent an apartment beside the church? This is Ursula. Ursula Roth. I'm Swiss. I talked to her and her husband, Max. Uh, my name is Max. I have 64 and a half years. And some of their complaints, I honestly felt, were very reasonable. If you decide to go to an apartment and you choose your apartment beside the street. Don't wonder if there are cars. And if you decide to take your apartment beside the church, don't wonder that there are bells. So the town 
was starting to like notice her and get mad at her and people would yell things at her when she was biking. Um, and oh, I was, wow. So it became oh, like, yeah. oh, okay. Uh, I mean, partly because it wasn't just the church bells. Uh, Nancy had been making noise about a lot of things. Here in Gipfoberfried gibt es eine Tradition, dass einmal im Jahr Mäuseschwänze abgeschnitten werden. So there's a tradition in Gipfoberfried. Like, for example, she had complained about this one tradition where townspeople can bring mice tails to the town hall. Once a year, people can bring, like, the tails of mice to the town hall and you would get, like, one franc and ten cents, um... And really? Yeah, uh, it's to like this population day. control. I think originally, yes. That goes back like 100 years, 150 years ago. Uh-huh. Now it's a tradition. So Nancy went after that. Oh, what did she do? So she started a procedure with like writing letters to the municipality and to all sorts of like animal um, rights groups. She got uh, an article in the paper at one point she showed me and there was this horrific bundle of tails Whoa. as the image. Yeah. Oh, wow. Um, so Nancy's real thing, more than the church bells, is like animal activism. And in fact, just a little while after that church bells article uh, came out. Eine Woche später kam dann ein Journalist und hat gefragt. One of the reporters asked her, Sind das alle Glocken, die sie nicht gerne? Oder haben sie noch andere Glocken nicht gerne? Well, you don't like church bells. Are there any other bells you don't like? <laughs> <laughs> and she said, Als Tierschützerin, Kuhglocken. Well, yeah, cowbell. This is how the cowbell. Literally, this is how it happened. <laughs> Any other bells you don't like? Damit habe ich ein einen Wespennest gestochen und dann kam die Medienwelle weltweit. I kicked oh the hornet's nest, and that's when it all happened. So it sounds like she's in a ever ever graduated escalation of attacks on Swiss culture. Suddenly trips the big one. Mm-hmm. Und da kam ein riesen Shitstorm. There's plenty of space. (laughs) Now, I have to say, I didn't totally get why cowbells would be the tipping point. And I mentioned this to Andy. The cowbells are an image of romantic feelings in in Swiss culture. And he was like, here, I can show you. So uh, we took a drive up into the hills around Gip Oberfrick with Andy and his daughter, Alicia. Can you guys hear them? It was the end of the day. We parked the car. We had pulled into this long driveway uh, leading to a farm. And we saw one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven. All these cows. And what very quickly became clear to me in that moment is that cowbells in Switzerland aren't just about postcards or what to sell in a gift shop or whatever. So 31. 31 cows. And a little bit more, maybe. I really like it here, and with the sunset, like there's the sun just t- touching, uh, touching all those fields. It's just beautiful. They really represent this particular way of life in Switzerland, an agrarian way of life, a rural, simpler farming way of life. It's like the cowbell is attached to the Swiss version of the American heartland, like the Nebraska farmer. And in Switzerland, for a lot of people, that feeling is connected to the cowbell. I think you know also Heidi, 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 for example. It's a story about a Swiss girl growing up with her grandfather in the Alps. Everything gets like like the beautiful life in the Alps and you drink milk and you're, you got you got red cheeks and the cowbells are there. It's some kind of a stereotype of a society where there are no problems, where everything is beautiful, where the sun is shining. And please make every little boy and girl in the world as happy as I am. Amen. Heidi, Heidi, deine Welt sind die Berge. So when Nancy, like, launched an attack, that was like, do you think it felt like it was like attacking people's sense of well-being and... Absolutely. It's a declaration of war. 
if I'm coming coming to a foreign ch- country, I first have to look how do they live, and then I have to make the choice: is that okay for me, or maybe it's not okay for me? But if I'm coming in and tell you you have to live like I think it's okay, so it's a little bit strange. Yes. Um. This is Ursula and Max again. People said it's not okay that Nancy comes in and tells us how we have to do it. She's a foreign person and she will tell us how to live and that's not okay. Do you remember how you felt before your meeting? So people in the town are not happy about Nancy's cowbell stance. And in the midst of all this, the night of Nancy's citizenship meeting arrives. She's really, she's glad that she didn't know what she, she didn't know then what she knows today. That's far hardcore. Like the whole thing was hardcore as she describes it. <clears throat> you know, it, it takes her an effort to go back to this particular night. The night of Nancy's citizenship meeting, she shows up at the school gymnasium. It's in the evening. Uh, There are rows and rows of folding chairs set up, and there's one row in the back where the prospective citizens can sit. And so Nancy walks in. She sits in that back row. And I'll say these meetings are usually, like, calm and pretty sparsely attended. There's, like, maybe 80 to 100 people. But this time there was twice that. Like, the place was packed. And the first thing that happened is they go through some administrative stuff, like uh, how much budget are we going to use to fix the road? Or like, should we put a roof on the roller hockey rink? But then came the citizenship part of the meeting. I think they couldn't really control themselves. The townspeople just like kind of lost their cool. People like like peasants, farmers, they would stand up and they would get angry and say, well, that's not right. We're against it. And and. The things that were said were really surprisingly violent. They would get so emotional. I mean, the discussion was uh, horrible. Um, and the atmosphere was uh, very um, hateful, was very loud. And um, no, we don't want. And um, This is Herbert Mosch. I live here in Gipfobofrik. I was astonished about um, the power of, um, of saying, no, we don't want. People were getting up, yelling, saying she doesn't belong here. For me, it was a shame. And he got up at one point to speak on her behalf. I raised my hand, yeah, and then I spoke. and uh, uh, But um, it was, we did not have any chance. Then wurde derjenige im ganzen Raum laut, stark ausgebuht. And apparently the whole room just started booing him. Also richtig, boo. Im ganzen Raum, boo. And Nancy is there for all of this, listening to everything people are saying, just sitting quietly in the back. Und es wurden dann auch sehr, sehr viele Argumente gebracht, die unter der Gürtellinie gingen. At this point in the assembly, people start speaking out against Nancy, accuse her of, you know, like... Gegen Massentierhaltung. Bringing veganism into Switzerland. Sie ist gegen Traditionen. She's against tradition. Sie ist eine schlechte Mutter. She's a terrible mother. Die armen Kinder. The poor kids. There's a lot of comments that, you know, are below the belt. Yeah. Das, war, das war insofern schlimm, weil meine Zwillingstöchter neben mir sitzen. And this whole time, her daughters are sitting right there next to her. At this point, Nancy's asked to leave the room. She goes out with her daughters and stands behind these big double doors. And she waits. And then she hears applause. Applause because she had been rejected. Having it so obviously, having a, a room full of people where the majority is really not on your side is 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 really hard. This is it's schwierig, yeah. Yodore, yodore, yodore. 
I should add that in addition to what went on in the room that night, there was actually a Facebook page that went up called Nancy Go Home. And it's the cover photo is a field of cows with Nancy's face photoshopped on it, and it's got a big circle and an X through it. And some of the comments on there were like, she should eat meat for once to come to her senses. In the old days, this bitch would have been chased away with a dung fork. Such women were burnt at the stake as witches. Coming up, Nancy fights back. Radio Lab will continue in a moment. Hey there, this is Greg in Huntington Beach, California. Radio Lab is supported in part by the Alfred P. Sloan Foundation, enhancing public understanding of science and technology in the modern world. More information about Sloan at www.sloan.org. Radio Lab is supported by Babbel. Sometimes self-improvement can feel like a pretty overwhelming journey. So what if this year you just got a tiny bit better every day? When you're learning a new language with Babbel, that's exactly what you're doing. Babbel is a science-backed language learning app with quick 10-minute lessons that have been handcrafted by over 200 language experts to help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. You can learn everything you need to have real-world conversations, café s'il vous plaît, from vocabulary words to culture and more. And if Babbel can help you start speaking a new language in just three weeks, imagine what you could do in a few months or a full year. Here is a special limited time deal for Radiolab listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription, but only for our listeners at babbel.com slash Radiolab. Get up to 60% off at babbel.com slash Radiolab, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash Radiolab. Rules and restrictions may apply. Radiolab is supported by the John Templeton Foundation funding research and catalyzing conversations that inspire people with awe and wonder. Learn about the researchers making the latest discoveries in the science of well-being, complexity, forgiveness, and free will at templeton.org slash podcast. Each election season, political memoirs abound, doorstops that sometimes divulge more than intended. No matter how diligently they present themselves in the most electable light, they always reveal themselves. Their insecurities, their fears, their ambitions. How to read a Politico on this week's On the Media from WNYC. Find On the Media wherever you get your podcasts. Chad. Robert. Radio Lab. Okay, we're going to go back to the tale of Nancy Holton, who has just been flatly rejected for citizenship by her neighbors. Yeah. So I assume that this is not the end of Nancy's Nancy's tale. Uh, no. I mean, the meeting was, like, pretty awful for Nancy. But throughout this whole thing, you know, her daughters are super supportive. And at one point, they're like, you can't give up, Mom. You need to do this. And what she did was <laughs> she wrote to the Canton officials. The Canton is like the region. And she wrote to them asking for another try. And she sprayed the stationery with perfume. Vanilla cocos parfum. It was vanilla cocoa. <laughs> Cruelty-free vanilla perfume. From body shop. <laughs> From the body shop that doesn't do animal testings. <laughs> to give it a little bit of her flair. And the response was good. They said, okay, you can try again. Uh-huh. Did you think about stopping your campaigns against the specifically Swiss, you know, cowbells and church bells? I just feel like if it were me, I would probably think like, oh, there's so many ways to help animals. Maybe I would try to choose one that doesn't cause so much friction in my community. Was that ever a thought? Like maybe something not about the cows and the churches? Never. <laughs> She's like, as long as the animals need a voice, I'm going to continue. People in her family, journalists would say, Nancy, keep it down. But for Nancy, she said, that wouldn't be honest, that wouldn't be me, and I don't want to crawl up someone's ass. How do you say that? Oh. <laughs> How do I put this? Um, suck up. Yeah. 
Und bei diesem Punkt. Nancy Holton von Gipf Oberfrick schüchtert keinen Konflikt. The media had gotten hold of Nancy's story and things just took off. She just kept writing and posting about the cowbells and telling people they shouldn't eat meat. And I use, just to be clear, I use this fame in order to reach even more people. Uh, she got on TV protesting pig races. And the use of animals in circuses. Since the press was involved, everything changed. Anywhere in Switzerland where you are, and you would say, Gib Fobberfrick, say, ah, Sarah is Nancy Holton in all Switzerland. So along the way, all these articles about Nancy, they end up putting a spotlight on the town too. Our village was was seen from the outside as being xenophobic. How does that make you feel? It's very difficult to hear that. I think this was the, the anger that was formulated. At this point, Nancy goes in for her second vote. And this time, she actually bakes vegan gingerbread to give out around town. Um, and the town rejects her again, which again kicks up the media. Macht Nancy Holton den Frühling Schlagzeilen bis auf Deutschland. But this time. A left wing Dutch woman has been denied a Swiss passport because she's too annoying. Nancy Holton. It goes international. And she even ends up being a joke on the Bluff the Listener test uh, on Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me. It's tough to get the Swiss to take a side. Even the Nazis couldn't do it. But when it came to 42-year-old Nancy Holton, they couldn't help but take a stand. She's that annoying. How annoying? She's pain in the ass as a person. Um, oh, sorry. Nice. Huh? Yeah, she can't be... Pain in the ass. I think even so when I was in the area, I stopped by a local newspaper and I met with this reporter, Nadja, and an editor, Rolf. And of course, they knew all about Nancy Holton. The, the frenzy of the people and the, the, you know, the hatred that they had, it was kind of big. You know, there are readers in the valley of Frick, where she's coming from. They say, if I have to read one more story about her, I will cancel my subscription. But, but it's a critical story. So the reason Rolf said it's a critical story is because it's not so much a story about whether Nancy is well-liked or not, whether she's annoying or not. It's more about who gets to decide who can be Swiss and who cannot. You know, from, say, a U.S. perspective, it's maybe hard to kind of wrap your head around the fact that there's so much kind of local autonomy to make these kinds of decisions. But I think that there's just a very strong tradition in Switzerland that these, you know, are local matters and they should be dealt with in the local community. So this is Jens Heinmüller. I'm a professor of political science here at Stanford University. And he says that the whole question of towns voting on someone's citizenship um, was at that time a huge issue in Switzerland, and it still is. Yes, yeah. Because like back in the early 2000s, there were more and more and more people immigrating from countries like Kosovo, Turkey, former Yugoslavia, and when that happened, people started noticing something. There were basically, at the time, some media reports about some seemingly discriminatory rejections. Uh, it looked like some boxes, towns were purposely uh, rejecting immigrants from those countries. And in fact, in 2003, there was actually a court case um, in Swiss federal court because there was this town in central Switzerland and eight Italian applicants got in while 38 applicants from former Yugoslavia were rejected. Uh, and the court looked at that case, and what they basically said is, is that under Swiss law, immigrants should have a right to appeal if they're rejected. Now, in order for you to make an appeal, you need to know, right, like why you were rejected. So the decision-making body, like, needs to provide some justification for why you're being rejected. Basically, they said the problem with these town votes is that people can vote yes or no for any reason they want. There's no way to tell why that person was rejected. 
And because it seemed like people who were getting rejected were mostly from Muslim-majority countries. There was a potential that certain uh, immigrants might be rejected just based on their membership in a certain ethnic cultural group, which violates the anti-discrimination clause in the Swiss constitutions. And so the court's way of solving this is to yeah, say that the towns have to justify their rejection. And if the person gets rejected, that person has to be able to appeal the decision. And so in the wake of that ruling... It became much more common to have politicians decide on those naturalization applications. And the naturalization rates actually went up quite dramatically. A lot more people started getting citizenship. And it increased particularly for those applicants that basically faced the strongest discrimination under the direct democratic vote. And so what's happening now is that the question of towns voting on citizenship has gotten all tangled up in the issue of immigration. And there's actually this political party. The Farmers' Party. The Bauernpartei, SVP. It's a very old, very rural party. Arguing, basically, that towns should go back to voting on citizenship. Yes. Uh, this, by the way, is Lilia. Yeah, my name is Lilia Honziker. Uh, when we spoke, I, she was an elected representative in the region and head of the immigration support group Integration Arau. And she basically told me that the SVP, which has actually grown pretty dramatically the past couple decades, um, their big thing is immigration. People voting right parties, they fear the changes. They, they, I mean, they fear everything. And um, I mean, when you see these campaigns, it's so clear and so easy to understand what they mean. Just as an example, a while back, um, the party was campaigning for this law they wanted to pass where you could deport an immigrant who commits two crimes in 10 years. So they put out these posters, and on the poster are three white sheep kicking a black sheep off the Swiss flag, like literally kicking it off. And the party says that it's just meant to represent the black sheep of the family, you know, like a troublemaker, but... But I think it's it's it, this, this black sheep is a black sheep, and it's not the black sheep of the family. It's the black sheep because it's black of color. And I, I think it's, it's a racist campaign. We got like that party from the right side of the political spectrum and they're kind of strong here they're very strong andy from gip oberfrick again and every move against direct democracy is perceived as a loss of control gip oberfrick is actually one of the last towns in switzerland uh still holding on to this town vote swiss people feel a little bit like that fear of being invaded from everywhere i think it's a fear of loss of culture So knowing all that stuff, I kind of wasn't sure how to see Nancy's story. Like, is Nancy's attempt to get citizenship and the town shooting her down, is that part of that larger story? I just wasn't sure how to think about Nancy in that context. Until I met this one last person in Gipf Oberfrick. So I was talking to some people about Nancy, and they said, oh, you want to hear about Nancy? Talk to that farmer down the hill. So I went down there. You drive down this hill, steep, steep hill, to get to his farm. There's this really old house, and right next to it, um, a barn with cowbells hanging from it. And I came across him and his wife. They're sitting around this round plastic patio table, and they're both wearing blue. He's in a worn T-shirt, uh, and he has got this, like, white, bristly mustache. They're both drinking a beer, and they're like, yeah, come on down. Yeah, yeah. So Anna and I sit down at the table. Uh, could you introduce yourself? <coughs> His name is Rudy Zuliger. Onderdorf, Glipur, Pension. Says he's retired with a small pension. He's lived there for his whole life, multiple-generation farmer. Yeah, the father is here, 1937. And his father bought his house. They moved here in, like, 1937. He remembers being a kid and the bombers flying over. He's, like, Swiss forever. It's one of the oldest houses here. But nobody really knows how old. Apparently, already at the point, like, about 200 years ago, when this became became Switzerland, not Austria anymore, already then people didn't know how old the house was. And right next to the house... Could we go to the horses? Yeah. Is a barn. So we're looking at two horses. One of them is blonde. 
Both of them are blonde. Where he keeps his horses. It's the horses of his nephew. And his nephew is, um, Schlachter. is a butcher. And, uh, <laughs> Pointing out he's also a bachelor. <laughs> With the remark that um, <laughs> bachelors, it's interesting, bachelors never get children but never go extinct. Yeah. <laughs> That's like town humor. That's village humor. <laughs> so anyway, these horses are where Nancy comes in. Uh, Nancy Holpen. Because Nancy rides her bicycle down the little road by his house, uh, barefoot, by the way. She would cycle by and like peek into the stable and check on the horses from the street. Uh, the way he's uh, imitating her, it's like in a way that, you know, it's visible for them to see that she's peeking in from the street. Yeah. And Nancy complained about the stable here, about that there wasn't enough light. He described it. She came and made like a fuss, like a little loud bird. And then she pressed charges against him. Yeah. Um, a government vet came by, found everything was okay, but... Nancy didn't give up. She kept on complaining. This was years ago now. And apparently she still comes by here twice a week. To get off her bike and make a little show of checking on his horses. And uh, on that, he's just (laughs) shaking his head. And on some level, it's like this is not all that surprising. Like, this is what people say over and over again. She's so annoying. She just drives you crazy. But on the other hand, I feel like this is when I kind of realize the emotional impact of what Nancy was doing here. Like, I mean, for one thing, this guy has been working with horses on this land for, 20 for decades. And not only that. Uh, a son of his is a, a vet, so <laughs> he actually knows when there's something wrong with the animals <laughs> they're taken good care of. Um, in general, he says, yeah, well. And it was clear to me that Nancy was really poking at something that was painful for him. It says it with a bit of a heavy heart that um, this this type of farming that's not sustainable. Like they told their children, like all you know, like be good in school, get a proper job, do something else, and they all did. He used to have fields of cherry trees, and they would grow wheat both for them to eat and to sell to people. They used to have cows as well with small bells. The cows would all graze on the hills around the farm. So when you, in the evening, start looking for them and getting them back into the stable, he'd find them by following the ringing of their bells. And in the morning, every day of his life, he's woken up to the sound of the church bells. Hearing those church bells in the distance. It's like, you know, it's a feeling of home that um, that sound releases to you. And now times are changing. People employed by tech companies in the city are now moving out to the country to live there and just commute in. And everything's getting really, really expensive. They can't afford to farm anymore. They've leased out their land. This way of life is over. Yeah. And so... There's this massive sense of palpable culture loss. Yeah. People are coming in. It is changing the way he has lived his entire life. And that is sad. And it was clear that Nancy coming around to check on his horses, it was like that was just one last insult. Nancy couldn't keep quiet, acted like a, you know, like an angry wasp. She had really provoked. And really targeted, you know, like all the, all the, all the things that hurt. And so he didn't want her to become a Swiss citizen. He would have definitely voted against her, but he felt like too angry to even go to the assembly. He was just like really disgruntled with the entire um, town. So Gip Oberfrick is one of the last towns to do these town votes, but they don't have the final say anymore. Because of those court rulings I mentioned earlier, everyone has the right to appeal to government officials in the region, which, after being rejected by her neighbors twice, is exactly what Nancy did. And she won. Against the town's will, she was naturalized by a ruling from the canton. What did it feel like? to get your citizenship? Erleichterung. Große Last, große Druck. Big feeling of relief. Um, 
And only then she really realized how much it actually meant to her as well. And that sometimes you just really, really have to stick to your guns. Uh, did this experience change the way you think about democracy? Um, so the whole procedure made her slightly disappointed in democracy, but also taught her a lesson, as she says. So today she would say democracy is, um, is power, and this power should be given to people who deal responsibly with it. And if they use this power on an emotional level, then sollte man diese Macht Ihnen wieder entziehen. This power should be taken away from them. And honestly, sitting there with Rudy... Das ist, das ist so, he said, well, this is now what's democracy. I felt conflicted, because I understand why he wouldn't want Nancy to be a part of his town. And I also kind of, I get why it would be painful to give up the, that kind of a choice. But then the conversation took a turn. Mit Islam, wir haben viele eingebürgerte Islam. A lot of people have been naturalized in Gipf-Oberfrika, he explains, often from like Kosovo, Bosnia, Serbia. Da wird so, und Türkei. Or Turkey. When one person gets naturalized, they would bring a partner. Eine Frau oder ein Mann. From their home country. And... When the partner then comes and stays here for five or ten years, then they will get that, like they will get a Swiss passport too. Und das hat ein wenig it says like this development Kopf zerbrechen gegeben bei mir. gives him a little bit of a headache. Uh, why a headache? Mentalität ist einfach anders. Mentality is yeah. different. In that moment, I realized that behind Nancy's story, behind this this kind of clickbait tale of the woman too annoying to get citizenship, there are all kinds of things that are a lot harder to talk about, like harder to separate out. There's a real loss. There's fear of a changing world and the promise of democracy, the, the promise that people could have a voice and a power, but also xenophobia, hostility. And all that made me think about the conversation I'd had with Latif about his family moving to Canada and, you know, him watching hockey. Like, all the things that his family tried to do to make a home in their new country. Yeah. I'm wondering if you think that if your family had faced more outright hostility, yeah. do you think they would have, you know, bought in on the club as much? Um... Yeah, like I think we certainly like like I think there were certainly dark times for my parents where people would call them packies all the time, uh, and yeah, I'm sure they didn't so get there jobs, was and I'm sure they didn't get yeah, yeah certainly yeah, and but and they bought in anyway. Yeah, they did. Like I think it was in part because it was like, oh, okay, this is the only place that took us. Like we gotta really make good here. It's not like we have any other options. But I do think, like I do think, like I think my parents felt a lot of probably felt a lot of pressure to conform in some way, like like being the first, you know, immigrant generation who uh, maybe you still have a trace of an accent, maybe because of the food you eat, you still smell a little different. I'm, I'm sure that generation, usually that first generation is like super sensitive about those things and like basically comes at it like, oh, I'm going to be the most Canadian, the like more Canadian than any Canadian. Yeah. It's almost to the degree of like erasing, you know, you're like, oh, okay, like, like, forget that I came from another place. Like, let's just erase all of that. Yeah, and I think about that and how assimilation to me has always seemed like a sad word, like like a giving mm. up of something to be yeah. somewhere, you know? Um, yeah. But at the same time as that sits in my mind, I think about, okay, what if lots of Latifs immigrate to Canada? Yeah. And they all think like, wow, thank you so much. Hockey's not for us. And now suddenly, hockey is no longer the thing that holds social capital, and in some way, Canadian identity loses that thing. And now it's that now also it's feels sad. Kabaddi or some Indian sport or something. Yeah, yeah, and I don't know where to put that. Yeah, like I I get that I get that feeling like where you're like oh like this is a thing that I love, and all of a sudden now there are people here who don't love the thing that I love, and my love is being diluted, or like my. Uh, 
um, or like or 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 even potentially supplanted. And that like I, I think that's a fair thing to feel. Um there's also a way to like to sell it, you know, like it's like, OK, like let's get some Indian kids in the NHL. I remember. Um, yeah. Um, there was this guy, uh, Manny Malhotra. Hold on. Is he still in the NHL? Um, I was like obsessed with Manny Malhotra. <laughs> he was like an Indian Canadian guy who was like a hockey player. And I was like, oh, yeah, cool. Like if he's in there, like I can start to feel my way into it. And I think it's just a matter of like, sell it, like share with me why you think this is so great and and let me have some purchase in it, you know? And and then yeah. all of a sudden, like, like I'm going to love it. Like I, I will. Yeah. So um, we did a lot of work on trying to figure out, well, what happens to people if they get citizenship? In some way, Letif's story speaks to something that Jens Heinmüller told me that really kind of flipped the way that I th- was thinking about citizenship. Folks who, uh, you know, got Swiss citizenship compared to those who didn't, they're much more likely to know important facts about Switzerland. Uh, they're much more likely to read Swiss as opposed to home country newspapers showing that their orientation has really moved towards kind of Switzerland and being informed about what's going on. They even report less discrimination. You know, taken together, I think this really suggests that the citizenship, it's not, as some people argue, the end point of integration. It's not like the crowning achievement of an integration process and people work very hard to become citizens and then it kind of ends there. It's more that the citizenship itself can be an important catalyst that kind of facilitates the social, political and economic integration. So I visited Nancy on the day she was going to vote for the first time as a Swiss citizen. And she kept saying how nervous she was. She kept going like, my heart's going... And I wish I had this on tape, but I was not allowed to record in the meeting. So I had just parked the car. And just as I parked the car and was getting out at the meeting, Nancy rode up on her bike. And she had been talking all day about how she didn't wear shoes. And I saw that she was wearing shoes. And they were sparkly, sequiny silver shoes. And I was like, why are you wearing shoes here? And she said, it's my first meeting as a citizen. And I just really want to make a good impression. Oh. And it was just so interesting that the more she was rejected, the more she was like, no shoes, no cowbells, like, I am Nancy. And the second she is accepted, she wears shoes. She starts to compromise. There was a, uh, like, so the maybe one of the quintessential Canadian foods, really a Quebecois food, but a Canadian food is uh, poutine, right? I love and so there's poutine. a poutine place. It's like a chain. I think it's called like Greg's Poutine or whatever it is uh, in Toronto. <laughs> That's the most Canadian. <laughs> I know. And so Greg's Poutine on the menu, if I'm remembering, last time I went, uh, it has like a chicken tikka masala poutine or something. Like you're like, oh, awesome. Like that's cool. Like, yeah, like let's do it both ways. Let's like mash this up. And now we're now we're all living in the same place, you know? Oh, my heart is getting physically warm. <laughs> it's like the most <laughs> hopeful poutine metaphor I've ever come across. <laughs> That story was uh, reported by Kelly Prime, produced by Kelly, and also Annie McCune. Big thanks to Latif Nasser, of course. And a huge thank you to reporter Anna Mayumi Kerber. So you mean Anna Mayumi Kerber? That's that's who I mean, yeah. yes. She went around and arranged everything and translated for the story. Also to Dominic Handgartner, uh, who is um, who works in the garden, usually using his hands as a reporter. <laughs> and, of course, to our yodelers, Ali Dineen. Ali Dineen and Gregory Corbino. Gregory Corbino.
Well, I guess we should... Uh, Yodel out of here. Yeah, let's do it. Yeah. I'm Jad Abumrad. I'm Robert Krulwich. Thanks for listening. <laughs> I feel so honored. <laughs> Good to... <laughs> <laughs> To play the message, press 2. Start of message. Radio Lab was created by Jack Abinrad and produced by Sir Miller. Dylan Keith is our director, sound design. Susie Lefkenberg is our executive producer. Our staff includes Simon Adler, Becca Bressler, Rachel Kubik, David Gable, Cecil Hacks, Tracy Hunt, Matt Kilty, Robert Kuhn, Julia Longoria, Annie McEvans, Lattice Matter, Marissa O'Donnell, Kelly Prime, Sarah Crary, Ariane Ruff, Pat Walters, and Molly Redford. With help from Shima O'Reilly, Adore Green, and Neil Danachin. Our fact checker is Michelle Harris. End of message. Radiolab is supported by the John Templeton Foundation, funding research and catalyzing conversations that inspire people with awe and wonder. Learn about the researchers making the latest discoveries in the science of well-being, complexity, forgiveness, and free will at templeton.org slash podcast.